Good day. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, September 29th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Just ahead, a preview of an honors class at the University of Arkansas that will revolve around dinosaurs. We'll talk with Selena Suarez, an associate professor in the Department of Geosciences, about the class and her public lecture about the class next week. Non-aviary dinosaurs were around for a long time, about 164 million years. While we know much about those animals, we can't know for sure if they just took roaming around the planet for granted, thought their world would just keep going with T-Rexes and pterodactyls just hanging out. We do know they didn't last and they became extinct. Now, We don't take you for granted, and we hope you don't take public radio for granted either. We can't continue to give you access to the world, and the world that's right here where you live, every day by just thinking we're going to keep hanging around doing this. The conversations and journalism you experience every day on KUAF don't just happen. We have to pay for equipment and salaries, for research tools and communication technology, and we do that with your help. Listeners, with contributions ranging from ten dollars to $10,000, pay for what you hear. You can contribute right now at supportkuaf.com. John and Kay Duvall, great friends of KUAF, are not taking this for granted and are trying to make sure you don't either. They're making another $200 challenge to you during Ozarks at Large today. If we all work together and raise $200 before the end of the show, they'll match that amount. All listeners, longtime contributors and first-time contributors can participate. Just go to supportkuaf.com this hour. And thank you. With your help, the radio you rely upon will not become extinct. Okay, now to the dinosaurs. Next spring, Salinas Suarez will lead the University of Arkansas Honors College Signature Seminar, The Science, Politics, and Culture of Dinosaurs. She'll also discuss dinosaurs in a public lecture that's a preview of the class via Zoom Tuesday evening at 5.15. Recently, we invited her to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I asked her about the long reign of dinosaurs. 230 million years to 66 million years ago of true non-avian dinosaurs, but they're still with us today in the form of birds. So birds are direct descendants from dinosaurs. So they're probably one of the most successful organisms ever to live on Earth, besides maybe like cockroaches or, you know, squids. They don't always get that sort of credit. They don't. They don't. But interestingly, dinosaurs have occupied all different ecospaces from, you know, the air to the land to the sea. Um, they swim, they walk, they run, they fly. So, uh, and all of this is from the beginnings of dinosaurs back 230 million years ago. So when you're dealing with an organism that lasted for so long, how do you condense that into an honors? Oh, yeah. And how do you condense that? And then also how you bring in other aspects of dinosaur research into like an honors course, uh, probably by hitting on a, dump, a bunch of different topics and then having the students go out and do research on their own in topics that interest them. So, for example, people study the biomechanics of dinosaurs. An engineer can easily start delving into how do paleontologists study biomechanics in dinosaurs. Um, You know, we have amazing paleo artists that reconstruct uh, dinosaurs, bring them to life both in 2D media to 3D and video media. You know, art student 
go go research how they do that. How would you do that? How how can you bring to life a dinosaur? Pick a specific dinosaur, for example, uh, or setting. Um, and so, like, kind of through all of these different subjects, we're going to try to bring together the vast uh, history of dinosaurs from 230 million years to 66 million years to controversies on how they became extinct, uh, research into what caused them to evolve to be such a successful organism 230 million years ago. Yeah, I mean, again, when you're talking the amount of time the non-avian dinosaurs were on the planet, that's a lot of time to change. And a lot of things did change. I mean, yep. the climate, the environment would change over the course of that time. Correct. And throughout most of dinosaurs' history, they were existing in what climate scientists would call a greenhouse state. So like the climate was in a greenhouse state during that time period. But that during that time period, we also saw short-term uh, hyperthermal events where we went into like hothouse state where really, really hot, like global temperatures of like 36 degrees Celsius. So, um, and dinosaurs can help us understand that. We could look at how the animals changed before, during, and after some of these hyperthermal events and relate some of that climate change to modern climate change that we see today. An organism that hasn't existed on the planet for tens of millions of years can teach us something about now? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, there's so much information contained within a single specimen or a series of specimens that you see through a rock record, which is basically time. Um, and so we we can use those organisms, both their occurrence, how they changed, uh, the chemical content of the their, their bones, for example, can tell us about what they ate, what they drank, and how that changed over time. And which, what, for example, herbivores eat um, is uh, basically plants. So how did plants change over time? Plants are directly related to climate. So if climate changes, pl plants change. So through all of these linkages, we can start looking at, um, you know, the world between 230 and 66 million years ago, how the climate changed through that time and how we can compare it to today. Can it? Can what we learn about these animals also maybe adapt how we research other things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, th I would say paleontology is going through a really uh, interesting time period. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about this as well in the class, like the history of dinosaur research from like the 1800s, um, at least by Western society from the 1800s on. We could actually even go even further back to like Native Americans and how they revere dinosaurs as, as, as gods, like the Thunderbird, for example. Um, but um, paleontology today is starting to use such a wide variety of sciences from chemistry, physics, modeling, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, like all of these different types of science disciplines are fed into paleontology. And so, yeah, it's it's actually really amazing what we can st do today with dinosaur paleontology. Now, I imagine the challenge, we've all seen movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even before Jurassic Park, what was the, the Lost World, the silent yeah. film, and of course, King Kong. So we have these ideas through pop culture, yeah. what dinosaurs might have looked like, been like, or behaved like. Mm -hmm. So you've got to imagine as a paleontologist, you have to sort of... That's something I want to explore as well. So any students that are interested in media, okay, how has the depiction of 
dinosaurs changed through time? Uh, how do we link that with what scientists were thinking at that time? Um, uh, how does our perception of what a scientist is or what a paleontologist is, how has that changed through time? And that's certainly like an area that paleontologists are um, really trying to remediate because like the uh, image of a paleontologist is, you know, for lack of a better word, an old white guy digging in the desert, um, you know, with a pick and a hammer. That's not exactly what paleontology is today. There's a wide variety of people that study paleontology, and you don't always have to go out into the field. I personally love going out into the field, but not everybody likes going out into the field. You don't have to study uh, paleontology and have to go out into the field. You can study museums. You could be a chemist. You could be a physicist, <laughs> a modeler. Well, and you're not an old white guy. Nope. <laughs> I mean, so just by you being in front of a class or in front of an audience talking about dinosaurs, that probably shaves away some stereotypes right there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, 20 years ago, if you asked, like, a five-year-old, hey, draw a paleontologist, they wouldn't draw me. So that imagery is is starting to change, and it's something a lot of the paleontology societies are really starting to focus on. And, and that brings up a point. I have to admit, I was not as knowledgeable. When I think of a, the earliest dinosaur mm-hmm. hunters or researchers, I think of these um, competitive European people kind of stealing bones or not really doing ethical things or not knowing what an ethical thing is to do with the bone. But then you mentioned Native Americans, and I have to admit, until five minutes ago, I hadn't thought of Native Americans oh, yeah. and dinosaurs. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's hopefully another aspect that we'll cover within the class uh, is uh, what are some of the Native histories pertaining to dinosaurs? Because they were there, they saw them, they had their own mythologies and explanations for uh, what they were. And then also some of those were revered or like resources on Native lands in, in you know, the late 1800s, Manifest Destiny. Scientists, USGS, were sending scientists out west to find resources, and one of those resources ended up being fossils, um, with no regard to what was taken from what native lands. And so a hot topic right now also in paleontology is repatriation of material that was excavated from native lands back to those native populations. There aren't many subjects that have such a long history, but such a relatively brief time researching that history. And I'm wondering, are you ever, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but are you ever anxious about what we still don't know? Uh, <laughs> to a certain extent, that's job security. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So the more we don't know, the more stuff that we can research, um, the more opportunities for my students to go into researching. So I don't think it makes me anxious or anything like that or frustrated. Um, the, the slow pace of the way science works is frustrating. The slow pace of getting funding to do research the questions are there, um, you know, the opportunities are there. It's just the pace. The pace is what's frustrating, really, to do what we want to do. Well, like, I would love, and maybe we do, maybe you're going to correct me, I would love to know what colors every dinosaur was. Yeah. And can we? Some things, yes, we can get an idea. Um, particularly... Uh, There's a couple of um, avenues that paleontologists have gone to for that. So there are uh, dinosaurs that do preserve feathers, 
um, you can use synchrotron spectroscopy to look at the shape of, I can't remember what they're called. It starts with an M, if I remember correctly. But these little structures within the feathers that when you look at them, uh, the density and the size of them, um, I believe, give you light versus dark color. Mm. So we can go to some of these really well-preserved feathers and look at them with the synchrotron and be like, okay, that feather was a dark feather. That was a light feather. That was an iridescent feather. Um, and then um, I think there's some chemical, geochemical work that people are starting to use, looking at like biomarkers of different colors for keratin. Um, and so we could... If the preservation is good and uh, if you have enough material to try to study study it, then, yeah, that's, there's a possibility that we can know what color some dinosaurs were. Some we have no feathers, skin, nothing. You can use your imagination that the paleo artists use. <laughs> And the big one, I want to know what they sounded like. Yeah, that would be I, – so I know some people have been doing research on like uh, like uh, uh, endocasts, like the brain casts. So basically they scan the inside of uh, a dinosaur skull and kind of reconstruct the brain. And if you can reconstruct the brain, you can reconstruct different parts of the brain and the parts of the brain that have sound and get an idea of – uh, kind of what pitches of sound they might have been able to listen to. And then there's organisms like Parasaurolophus, you know, that had big horns, you know, and there's been all kinds of research on, on okay, if the organism blew air through the horn this way, what would it have sounded like? So there's some inklings as to what they may have sounded like. Um, and there's some some linkages with birds, obviously they're one of the most direct relatives, birds and crocodiles. And so you could go into the modern and look at birds today and be like, okay, well, what are the different sounds birds can make and how do they make them? And, you know, does it make sense for an organism this big to make a sound like that? And I kind of ask this because as a kid, I first became fascinated with dinosaurs through the old, old movies, mm -hmm. the, the stop animation work of Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen. Do you remember what ignited? Oh, um... We had a dinosaur section in second grade that I definitely remember. And I remember the teachers put the size of the tracks down the hallway in tape. I remember that vividly. I remember all the funny little songs that we sang. And then, ironically, I remember watching, like, and this is not paleontology, but I remember, and probably not even ethical at all for archaeology, but watching Indiana Jones as a kid, be like, wow, that's what it is to be a professor and look for old things. That's amazing. Now, that was definitely not ethical if you think about it today. But right. at the, to a five or six-year-old of like, this is amazing adventure, being a professor is adventurous. It is adventurous in many ways, I guess. But um, yeah, so a combination of those two things and uh, you know, growing up in the Texas Hill Country, I used to always go rock hounding and find rocks and fossils and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I always thought I was going to dig up a dinosaur in my backyard, and I just never grew out of that phase. And my, I think my twin sister also was – I mean, she's a geologist as well. And so, you know, we kind of both spurred our imagination on with each other and just kind of had at, kept at it and always wanted to stay researching – Dinosaur paleontology. I, I, I would say I'm not like a paleontologist proper because I don't do as much description of organisms, but I do I – mean, I have, but it's not exactly the area of paleontology I'm most interested in. I mostly focus on like the chemistry of the bones and the teeth and what can tell us about climate. Um, but I never grew out of wanting to be a paleontologist. 
Selena Suarez is Associate Professor of Geosciences at the University of Arkansas. Next spring, she leads a University of Arkansas Honors College signature seminar series called The Science, Politics, and Culture of Dinosaurs. Tuesday evening at 5.15, she'll deliver a public preview of the class via Zoom. We have a link to a form that will allow you to attend that virtual link, uh, lecture at ozarksatlarge.com. Downtown Springdale announces a special concert featuring Jenny Flenner and Friends, an all-star bluegrass band. Members of the band include Josh Martin, Johnny Meyer, Jason Horde, and Barry Bells. This concert takes place at the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks, Friday, October 7th, 7 to 9 p.m. Information and tickets at downtownspringdale.org. Skokus Performing Arts Center in Alma presents the Three Redneck Tenors, a new breed in the tenor genre with musical comedy featuring classically trained artists. The Three Redneck Tenors were top finalists on America's Got Talent and have been thrilling audiences since 2006. That's 7.30 p.m. Saturday, October 1st. Tickets and more at skokuspac.org. Thanks so much for being with us on this Thursday during one of our days of on-air fundraising at 91.3 KUAF. And during this fall's on-air fundraiser, we're not offering coffee mugs or T-shirts as thank you gifts for your support. We're partnering with Canopy Northwest Arkansas and great friends of the station, Lynn and Joel Carver, to encourage you to support your public radio station and provide gift cards for welcoming kids for refugee families relocating in our area. Every afternoon, we have a challenge pledge from the Carvers, putting up their own money to encourage you to become a new sustaining member of the station. When we receive 10 new sustainers every afternoon, and we've met that challenge, the Carvers will add $100 to our fundraising total and provide a $300 gift card to Canopy NWA for furniture, kitchen items, bedding kits, toiletries, and more. Again, for refugee families making their new homes here in Northwest Arkansas. We hope to provide an opportunity for listeners to support all the news, the music, the entertainment, the connection, and more that they get from KUAF, while also supporting the newest members of our community. And if you'd like to see a full list of needed items for welcoming kits, you can go to canopynwa.org to make your contribution and to become a sustaining member of KUAF. You can just go to supportkuaf.com and thank you. I'm Paul Gatling, and this is the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. If Arkansas voters approve a recreational marijuana use ballot question in November, an economic modeling forecast from the Arkansas Economic Development Institute says that could add $2.4 billion to the state's economy over five full years of implementation and up to 6,400 jobs by 2027. Responsible Growth Arkansas commissioned the institute for that project. RGA is the group that worked to get the proposed amendment on the November general election ballot. If the issue is approved by voters, it would amend the existing law for medical marijuana and allow those who are at least 21 years old to buy cannabis from licensed dispensaries as early as March 2023. Arkansas voters approved a constitutional amendment in 2016 that legalized medical marijuana. We've got this story up right now over on our website, and you can find that at talkbusiness.net. We will hear from advocates on both sides of the recreational marijuana issue after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by 
the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Arkansans will vote in November on whether or not they support the sale of recreational marijuana. In a recent episode of Capital View, Roby Brock was joined by Family Council President Jerry Cox, who is against the ballot question, and Responsible Growth Arkansas Chair Eddie Armstrong to discuss opposing viewpoints. Gentlemen, I'm an undecided voter, so today you guys get to try to persuade me to your side of the, uh, of the arguments there. I'll come to you first, Eddie. A simple question. Why is this amendment good public policy? It's good public policy, Roby, because legal cannabis is a step in the right direction for regulated consumer safety. Um, we've spoke about this many times before. It'll be able to bring forth something that we already see in our medical program where if you're 21 and older, you can go and purchase these products. But more importantly, we'll be bringing forth really, I think, something that's good business for Arkansas, cancer research. We are really harping on that law enforcement support and being able to provide hopefully new funding for new additional police officers across the state of Arkansas, which is something that I think we need as we look at high-level crimes, crime in our cities right now. Um, and then more importantly, you've seen our governor and maybe our future governor talk about this in weeks past, job creation. This will bring forth thousands of new jobs for our cans. And so for that, I think, and boasting our economy um, by bringing forth new tax revenue to the general revenue. So I think those things make this good policy, and we're hopeful that the voters will have a chance to decide that. Well, they will have a chance to decide it. Jerry, That's why right. is this not good public policy? Well, I've read this amendment several times, and what people like you, Roby, who are still trying to make up their mind, need to realize is this is not just about recreational marijuana and the concept. It's about putting something in our Constitution. So when you read it, you realize, oh, there's a lot more to this than I thought. For example, the legislature can't regulate it. For example, it only taxes marijuana at about half the rate that they do in Colorado. For example, local communities can't zone it out of a certain area. And then you look at what they did with the packaging requirements for medical marijuana. They just erased a lot of that. And so I think it's very dangerous for children. They allowed unlimited amounts of THC to be infused into marijuana edibles like gummy bears and things like that. And so when you start reading this, you say, okay, I may be for marijuana, but I'm not for this amendment. And there's a big difference, and people need to realize that. Yeah. Regulation and taxation, Eddie, are, does he raise some good points on that? Absolutely, he raises some good points, but I think it's misinformation. Um, when you look at this amendment, the work that was done and the effort that was put forth with speaking with law enforcement and the attorney general's office and making certain that ABC had a chance to rightfully so look at exactly why the Board of Elections maybe tried to throw this off 
we will be regulating packaging. That was something that we really wanted to harpen upon, is making certain that we kept it out of the hands of children. The tax dollars are astounding. We were expecting only 20,000 patients to be in the medical market. We're looking at over 100,000 patients right now and expanding that to open recreation. When we go across the state, over 190,000 people, a history-making number, signed this petition saying in every corner of the state we believe that we should allow for this. I think he brings up the point about the legislature not being able to regulate this. What we've seen just in the last legislative session, many attempts to try and chime in on how they could better regulate medical marijuana programs like ours. And I think you'll start to see more of that as we move forward in the future with the legislature and ABC and the Department of Health as we wait on uniform laws from the federal government. We did see a lot of regulation in the medical marijuana industry. It took about three years for that industry to even get off the ground because mm -hmm. of regulations. Do you not feel like there's This amendment amends the marijuana amendment and obliterates almost all of the ability for the legislature to regulate it. That's completely not And I'm not, not surprised. True. I'm not really surprised because you know who put this together? The marijuana industry put it together. Well, we're going to talk They're about the ones that. who bought their way to the ballot, spent $2 million, hired the canvassers, and all of that. And so I ask the people, what do you think you'll get if you allow the marijuana industry to write their own amendment to our Constitution and give themselves an uncontrollable monopoly? That's what this does. Let me let you uh, refute his allegation that it is uh, not going to be regulated enough, and then we're going to move on. It was focused on the from the very beginning with our legal counsel, at Wright Lindsey Jennings, to make this responsible and well-regulated. And there were many hours spent at not just taking the opportunity to have the industry create what has been coined as a monopoly. Who else but the current industry knows this industry best? Those in the medical marijuana industry know this industry. They know the patients. We've got a biotrack system that has been tracking and testing this through the many labs we have in our state. So they took the first approach at looking at what would be a wise way to expand our medical program into a full rec program. And it wasn't done at the guise of saying, we're going to create a monopoly just for us. Hence and forth is why we're expanding the number of dispensaries, creating craft grows that will allow for lower yields, higher quality products to maybe be created. The same as you look at craft breweries, when you get good beer like Diamond Bear Beer, a home state beer company, or the guys in Helena creating our vodkas now and our gins, um, we have that same opportunity in cannabis, I think, when we expand this program. And then more importantly, You've got so many guardrails. ABC is regulating this. We've got several different factions of government that are making certain that we have the oversight. So it's not like we're going to go um, in reckless abandon here. And I think Jerry raised this point in 2016 that when we pass medical, that we may be going down a slippery slope. And we've seen only good things, I think, for the patients that have been able to benefit I think Jerry from it. And that is Jerry Cox and Eddie Armstrong debating the pros and cons of recreational marijuana. It's on the ballot in Arkansas in November, and you can hear more of that interview over at talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, there is a leadership shuffle taking place at Tyson Foods. John R. Tyson will take over as chief financial officer of the company on October 2nd. Stuart Glendinning, the current CFO, will transition to group president of Prepared Foods. And Amy Tu, currently the chief legal officer and secretary of global governments and corporate affairs, will take on the additional role of president of international and chief administrative officer. America's Carmart and Rogers will have a new president. 
Former Avis executive Douglas Campbell will fill that role starting next week. Jeff Williams will continue as the company's chief executive officer. And the new issue of the Business Journal is out this week, and on the cover, a profile of a new company in Bentonville that is raising millions to launch and develop nearly a dozen new hospitality concepts across the country. High Ground Hospitality is the name, and it is backed by several key executives, including Scott Bowman, formerly the owner of Theo's Restaurant, and longtime real estate executive and investor Ramsey Ball. For all of those stories and more, you can visit us online at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'll reiterate what Paul Gatling said. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your continued support of your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. We've got a couple days left in this five-day on-air fundraiser, part of our fundraising September at KUAF, when we remind you that the reason we can bring you stories about what's going to be on the ballot in November— what we're talking about on the University of Arkansas campus, how city governments are affecting your life, and so much more. We can do that every day because of your continued support at supportkuaf.com. John and Kate Duvall of Fayetteville, great friends, great neighbors of uh, KUAF, have put up $200 today. We're trying to match that. This can come from a brand new member, a renewing member, or a gift membership. When we reach $200, we match John and Kay's $200. It's worth $400 during this hour of Ozarks at Large. You can make a contribution. Help us meet that challenge at supportkuaf.com. KUAF exists to be responsive to you, not to the pull of advertisers, not to the pull of shareholders, not to the pull of higher ratings. We report to and for the listeners, the public we serve. But here is a big, big key to that, because public service is the bedrock on which all of KUAF rests. Public support, your support, is fundamental to keeping KUAF strong. Without you, we're not here, period. So, if you can, please be here for KUAF right now. The hours are dwindling during this September fundraiser. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining member, giving a little bit every month right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. In the background is pianist and composer Amina Figueroa doing the title track from her CD, Joy. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this edition of the show, we will hear more music from Amina Figueroa, as well as from guitarists Wolfgang Muthspiel and Peter Leach, saxophonist Charlie Porter and bassist David Friesen, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg tomorrow night from 10 to midnight, then Saturday morning from 11 to 1 on KUAF3. Let's keep talking music. Let's talk about live music. Let's talk about live music with Timothy Dennis. Hello. Okay, so it seems like in recent weeks it's been hard to talk about live music without some festival going on. That's true. Last week we had Format Fest in Bentonville. A few weeks ago, we had the Roots Festival. Mm-hmm. This weekend, we have Hillberry. Yes, we do. Starts this evening, goes through Sunday. They're going to feature a lot of bands, including Railroad Earth, O'Teal and Friends, which is O'Teal, Burbridge, Steve Kimock, and many others. They're also featuring Yonder Mountain String Band, Victor Wooten, and many, many more. <laughs> 
Tickets start at $70, gets underway, well, it got underway at noon today and goes through the weekend. All the, all the way through like Sunday night, right? I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. Let's move on to events just happening tonight. Randall Shreve is going to play at Kingfish this okay. evening. If you can't make it out tonight, he'll also be at the Parkhouse Kitchen in Siloam Springs Saturday at 7 p.m. Fantastic. Show tonight gets underway at 8 o'clock. Again, that's at Kingfish in Fayetteville. Tomorrow evening, the Kate Brothers are going to play Happy Hour Set at George's. All right. All my worries would be. Lady Luck, won't you open me for a while? Cover for that is $10. That gets underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow evening at George's and Fayetteville. Nothing to do with this week, but they're also going to open up for Asleep at the Wheel in December in Eureka Springs. That's correct. That's correct. Happening at Smoke and Barrel tomorrow night, they're going to have a rock and roll show featuring uh, Various Blonde, Rings, and Foggy Bobcat. But your cold, lonely heart was breaking. It jumped to die. Cover for that's $5. Gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night at Smoke and Barrel in Fayetteville. Happening at Mount Sequoia Center in Fayetteville tomorrow evening, Kalem Fay is going to perform a concert. That's right. Maybe I just missed the good times But life didn't seem so bad Sometimes it's hard to see what you have. They're accepting donations. Uh, that should get underway at about 6.30 tomorrow evening, again at the Mount Sequoia Center in Fayetteville. Moving on to more music tomorrow night. Mojo's Pines and Pies, the one on Garland in Fayetteville, mm-hmm. is going to have State House Electric on stage. All right. That's the first Mojo's. Correct. You learn to make your heart stop beating. How much pressure to apply You don't want to stop That should get underway at about 7 o'clock tomorrow night again at the Mojo's on Garland Avenue in Fayetteville. Happening over at the Parkhouse Kitchen in Siloam Springs tomorrow night, John Dooley is going to play a set. Should get underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night again. That's at the Parkhouse Kitchen in Siloam. Over at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs, Dominic B. Roy will be on their stage. Well, no, I'm not no hippie. I'm just not much for I wouldn't mind peace and I want to live in a land that is free. Now you go ahead and you call it free just from what you're asking. Another show that gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Okay, jumping ahead to Saturday. Smoke and Barrel Tavern in Fayetteville is going to have an evening of hard rock featuring TV Preacher, Proto Hive, and The Salesman. cover for that show is five dollars gets underway at around nine o'clock saturday evening again at smoke and barrel in fayetteville 
Happening up in Bentonville, Bike Rack Brewing Company is going to have Jenna and the Soul Shakers on their stage. It's part of the Loggers and Lederhosen event, kind of an Oktoberfest celebration. Gotcha. Oh, Saturday would be the first day of October. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. If you can't make it out to Bike Rack Brewing Company Saturday, Jenna and the Soul Shakers will be at Kingfish Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Ooh, nice. Yeah, nice Sunday fun day set. Yeah. That set at Bike Rack, though, on Saturday evening gets underway at about 7 o'clock. Happening over at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs Saturday night, they're going to have Haley Jane on their stage. She's a singer-songwriter from southwest Missouri. Counting stars till sunlight danced across the sky Taking up all the time I could it should get underway at 7 o'clock Saturday evening again at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Got a whole brewing in Eureka Springs Saturday is going to welcome the band Gully Washer to their beer garden. They are a Kansas City-based folk and bluegrass band. Should get underway at about 6 o'clock Saturday evening again at Got a Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. Okay, Sunday, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have their own evening of hard rock featuring the bands I Hate God, E-Y-E, Hate God, Savage Waste, Dead Bird, and Mudblood. for that show is $15 in advance. Goes up to $21 on Sunday. Should get underway at about 7.30 Sunday evening. Again, at George's in Fayetteville. Happening at the Momentarium Bentonville on Sunday, uh, the next edition of their Courtyard Sessions series. They are going to feature country pop artist Cassie Jewel. is a free show should get our way at about four o'clock sunday afternoon again at the momentary in bentonville courtyard so is that the grassy area no that is the momentary green the courtyard is next to the tower oh okay i, got I believe you. that's correct okay. i know that the green though is the big grassy area. okay okay temple live in fort smith sunday evening is going to have a rock and roll show featuring the bands max saturn dorothy and dirty honey Tickets start at twenty-seven fifty. That'll get underway at seven thirty Sunday evening again at Temple Live in Fort Smith. Wednesday, Big Sexy Food in Springdale is going to have Ashton Barbary on their patio. It's part of a Halloween music series that they're starting throughout October, presented in partnership with Downtown Springdale. Oh, fun. That set gets underway at 6 o'clock Wednesday evening again at Big Sexy Food in Downtown Springdale. And then next Thursday... A week from tonight. A week from tonight, Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue gets underway. Mostly... North of where it's been in the past, it's mostly centered around Rogers, Correct. right? The main stage is going to be at Butterfield Stage. Okay. And on Thursday, they're featuring 90-pound wrench, Chris Cameron, uh, Suede Diablos, Gary Hutchison, and more. Okay. Uh, that 
the main stage events, as most things at Butterfield Stage, are free. Uh, music next Thursday gets underway at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. All right. And that should take care of us, for the most part, for the next week. All right. So we've got another festival next week, then. Correct. Very good. Timothy Dennis, thanks as always. Thank you. Ozarks at Large is supported, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Little Wing Productions presents Asleep at the Wheel, Merry Texas Christmas, Y'all, at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs, Friday, December 16th, with special guests the Cape Brothers. Tickets go on sale this Friday at tickets.thundertix.com. Just ahead on this edition of Ozarks at Large, one of my favorite voices in the world, Leah Uribe, with a brand new sound perimeter. When news happens around the globe, you can count on public radio to be there for you. It can be as simple as the cost of transporting a reporter to the place where news is happening. But it can be more complex, like establishing a satellite link to bring you coverage of a significant event because the local infrastructure at the site of this report no longer available. Special coverage of breaking news can be expensive, but it's important. These events can have a huge effect on your life or the life of someone you know and love. Knowing about them can make a big difference. 91.3 KUAF and NPR pay the cost of special coverage with the contributions of listeners like you. You can be our partner in this important coverage by making your donation today. We know in 2022, we can't not think about how the rest of the world has an impact on us and us on the rest of the world. And that's true when you listen to Ozarks at Large. Leo Uribe, every Thursday, transports us often to different parts of the world to understand more about music and culture and how it affects us and how it can enlighten our lives. We understand that to have a great view of our lives, we need to have a better view of others unlike us who are different than us living somewhere else. And during this year's on Air fundraiser this September. We're not offering coffee mugs or t-shirts as thank you gifts. Instead, we have a partner with someone who knows about global impacts on local lives, Canopy NWA. They, along with Lynn and Joel Carver, are working together. So if we can get 10 new sustainers every afternoon on KUAF, someone who transitions to give a bit every month to KUAF, then we get $100 from the Carvers for to help us along our way in fundraising, but also a $300 gift card goes to Canopy NWA to create welcoming kits for refugees and refugee families coming to make new lives here. You can make your contribution to KUAF at supportkuaf.com. You can find out more about the welcoming kits at canopynwa.org. And thank you.
This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with Frederick Chopin's Bolero, Opus 19, one of his lesser-known pieces for piano written in 1833 and performed by Turkish legendary pianist Idil Buret. Chopin dedicated this piece to one of his students and was inspired by the Spanish dance, the bolero, very popular all over Europe in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. The bolero was introduced to Parisian audiences around the same time Chopin arrived in Paris from his natal country, Poland. This piece reflects both Spanish and Polish flavors in Chopin's characteristic sparkly and virtuosic piano writing. Turkish legendary pianist Idil Buret performing an excerpt from Frederick Chopin's Bolero Opus 19. The Latin American Bolero is a genre of song that originated in Cuba in the late 19th century. The Cuban Bolero, related to the Spanish Bolero only by sharing the same name, is characterized by sophisticated lyrics dealing with love. Like many other genres, the Cuban bolero evolved from its beginnings, traveling across countries and therefore being influenced by other flavors, instruments and stories, but remaining true to the presence of romantic lyrics and romantic feel. Cuban Pepe Rivero, 
a classically trained pianist, Latin jazz performer, composer, and arranger with a prolific international career, decided to bridge the world of Frederick Chopin with Latin jazz and improvisation in his album Los Boleros de Chopin, or Chopin Boleros. Pepe delves into the romanticism of Chopin's piano work and translates it into a new world here in El Vals de la Media Hora, recorded in Madrid in 2009, accompanied by René Toledo, guitar, Tonio Miguel, double bass, and Georbis Pico, drums. Pepe Rivero, accompanied by René Toledo, guitar, Tonio Miguel, double bass, and Hervis Pico, drums, performing Vals de la Media Hora from Rivero's album Los Boleros de Chopin. Pepe Rivero will be visiting Northwest Arkansas to participate in the Reflections Tertulia with the Four Seasons of Latin Jazz this coming late October and early November. This will be a series of events presenting live music, jam sessions, masterclasses, and conversations about rewriting our histories through music. Find more information at reflectionsmusic.org. That is Reflections with a big X. You'll find this address also in our show notes. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon.
This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Lake Leatherwood. Timothy Dennis produced today's show and today's sound perimeter. Today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report was produced by Stephanie Brock. Contributors today included Leo Ribe, Timothy Dennis, and Paul Gatling. Also, Roby Brock. Our thanks to Kay and John Duvall for their help in encouraging others to contribute during our five days of on-air fundraising. A reminder that the Duvalls again today put up $200 of their own money as a match to encourage you and your fellow listeners to work together to raise $200. Then it's a $400 contribution to 91.3 KUAF. You can make your contribution right now at supportkuaf.com. Also, Thank you to Lynn and Joel Carver and Canopy NWA for their partnerships during this on-air fundraising week for their help. And uh, you can learn more about Canopy NWA at canopynwa.org. You can become a sustaining member of KUAF at supportkuaf.com. And there are options. There's not just one size fits all to become a sustainer. Like any contribution to KUAF, you can determine how much your monthly contribution is, and you can determine the method where that monthly contribution will come from. It's pretty intuitive and explained at supportkuaf.com. And don't forget, you can also, if you prefer, mail us a contribution. Our address is 9 South School, Fayetteville, Arkansas, 72701. So you can mail in or you can go to supportkuaf.com. We're going to have another show for you tomorrow at noon and 7, the band Olympics inside the Furman Garner Performance Studio with Timothy Dennis. Uh, was that last week? I think it was last week, but we'll hear it tomorrow uh, at noon and 7 p.m. From inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums.